electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the FedEx fallout. What it means for stocks and your money as another Fed meeting looms large now. Are the June lows now almost certain to get revisited? We asked the investment committee that key question. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, and with me here on set, Joe Terranova and Steve Weiss. I'll take you. It's 12 noon in the east, obviously. I'll take you to show you what the markets are doing uh, right across the board today. It's been a tough week, too. Dow's down 4.5% on the week. The S&P's down 5.5%. NASDAQ's down 65 And the NASDAQ 100's down 7 So progressively worse as you look at the major averages. Uh, 346, the 10-year note yield. Uh, Joe, begin with you. Uh, obviously, FedEx is uh, the big talker today. It's the big story in the market. The question really is, is, is that warning a precursor to others? And does that ultimately drag stocks lower like some are calling for? One of the reasons why you had this, this degree of potential confidence that we'd be able to endure this process of, of rate hikes was that we have a very strong consumer and corporate climate. After yesterday afternoon, you can no longer hold on to that thesis that the corporate climate is going to be so resilient. We saw that in July, but now in October, that was a shot across the bow from FedEx. It wasn't just FedEx. It was also GE. Um, And I think now you have to call into question what we're going to be hearing in October. Are we finally going to see that corporate earnings aren't as resilient as expected? You know, there is some talk that it's, FedEx specific in in certain areas, though some are throwing cold water on that. And what we've heard from some other companies, tech, enterprise spending throughout earnings season was good. You didn't have the sky is falling from a lot of enterprise CEOs when they're talking about technology. Throughout earnings season, which was the prior quarter. Now we're in a, a new quarter. We've had more interest rate hikes. There's more pressure on the economy itself. And that story is being told uh, and it was clearly represented by FedEx. So is it is it an ultimate referendum on where corporate earnings are going to fall out in October? No, I don't think so. But how could you ignore what you heard yesterday? Afternoon? Well, you could. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, there's some voice who are suggesting, OK, it's canary in the coal mine. This is the first of many earnings revisions, uh, pre-announcements, warnings, whatever you want to call them. And that that's what everybody's waiting for. At least the bears are waiting for that. They've been saying it's coming. And now maybe this is the tip of an iceberg. I think it is. And I, I think we've seen that tip already because earnings, as I mentioned on, uh, on the show Wednesday, are down 5.5% estimates uh, since the uh, end of the quarter. Uh, and let's keep in mind the target two quarters ago had to do a similar bout face within two weeks of reporting, saying, hey, we were wrong. Here it's two and a half months. So, look, part of it is that this company has a history of poor execution. They missed three out of the last four quarters. And going into the pandemic, they missed four out of five in a row. So, so, but it's undeniable, and I don't know why. Well, let me put it this way. I wore this loud jacket because I want the bulls to hear me. 
and there's no place to hide for them. His market's as ugly as that jacket. I'm just saying This is that. not ugly. This is style. I know you're allergic to style, but this is style. <laughs> but here, here's how I look at it. Just bear with me one second. Uh, I hurt my back, so I go to a back doctor. That's way too long. I go to okay. back. Hold on. Okay, I go to go a back ahead. doctor. The back doctor that I go to, I look at his research. He invented this new way to clean out different levels. He says, let's do that. I go to his partner who invented a new way of fusing. He said, let's fuse it. I go to a guy who didn't invent anything but a great surgeon. He said, let's just watch it change your workout. Same thing. When you go to a wealth manager, their bias is, and it's on his bias, to be long. They're not giving money to allocate to cash. They're giving money to allocate to stocks. So that's why they keep holding on to this dream and have their hands and heads in the sand. Market is going lower. It's going lower from here. The Fed looks at the market as another tool to tighten economic conditions. That's what they're doing. So you'll see a lot more similar to FedEx. That's that is the worry. Um, Jason Snipe, you've got Michael Hartnett, uh, Bank of America, talking about their flow show today. EPS recession uh, shock, he says CFedEx, is the catalyst for new lows. He says nibble at X, SPX 3600, bite at 3300, gorge at 3000. Um, the question is, we're, at thir- we're just below 3900 now. Are we going to go to some of those levels that he's talking about today, either 36, 33, or the more dramatic 3000? Yeah, Scott, I, I definitely could see that happening, right? I mean, the narrative this week was obviously the inflationary numbers we saw earlier in the week, CPI, um, a big miss there. You know, there's a lot of expectations running into the number. Markets were moving, and it was a big miss there, particularly on core. PPI, uh, you know, uh, slightly softer. And then we, we got the pre-announcements here, like, you, like we've been talking about with FedEx and, and GE. So for me, you know, it all points to the Fed. You know, and obviously the Fed, as, as you've been talking about for, for weeks now, will remain resolute and steadfast and, and engaged. They'll continue to do what they need to do. And I think the question for me right now is, what's the terminal rate? You know, it seems like it's a moving target. Is it 4 percent? Is it 4 and a quarter? Is it 5? And how long will they be there? And obviously, this is a discount to equity. So I could easily see us revisiting, uh, you know, some of the June lows are potentially lower than that. And I do agree with the call. If, if we do get to these numbers, I think it's important to, hey, we, we, you, you should be pumping, um, you know, and getting back into the markets if you've been on the sidelines for some time. We remind people, Bryn, of the calls that we've gotten recently from some big name investors. Dalio this week. Uh, 20% negative impact on equity prices if interest rates go to 4.5%. Um, Gunlock with me the other day, 3,000 is his target on the S&P. Uh, Minard uh, with me uh, 10 days or so ago, looking at 20% decline by, by mid-October. And a lot of this has to do perhaps with what Jason Snipes talking about, this idea of the Fed hiking aggressively into a slowdown. That's what you have people talking about. The economy's slowing. It's slowing more dramatically than people think. FedEx reminds you of that today. And at the same time, the Fed is out with you know, how resolute, as Joe uses that word to describe what the Fed chairman has been. And they're, aggressi- uh, they're aggressively hiking into this. Right. Well, I mean, I've been talking about that all year. A bunch of us have that the Fed is tightening into a slowing, if not stalling economy. The Atlanta Fed just came out the other day and they now have 0.5 GDP growth for the third quarter. I think where when I, I read actually Ray Dalio's piece and I think what, what, what makes sense about what I don't know about the actual price okay, of where we go, but what, what made really a lot of sense about what he said is that stocks are most vulnerable 
when earnings are beginning to decline and the Fed is tightening? Well, if FedEx is the canary in the coal mine, then, then stock prices are definitely vulnerable. And so I think next week is gonna be all about the messaging. Whether they do 75 or 50 or one, I would assume they do 75, it's gonna be about the messaging. Because what I remember is the word that they loved to use the last month and at Jackson Hole was the word pain. And so while equity markets are significantly suffering that pain, the economy really isn't suffering the pain yet. So I would love to get some clarification from Chairman Powell about what that word actually means to him. But if it, if it is the economy and the Fed does come out next week, Scott raises rates and is still hawkish, I still think that the bears are gonna take over for the short term because that's just to Ray's point, Ray Dalio's point, if we have earnings decline into a Fed tightening, clearly the market hasn't priced that in because just look at FedEx today. I wonder what they're gonna do now, Joe. I mean. Gunlock the other day, you know, pre-CPI was thinking, I don't think they should do anything. You got to let the hikes go through the system. And they, it takes a while to do that, what, 12 to 18 months. Now he says, okay, do 25 because the CPI was much hotter than expected. The problem is to what Bryn was talking about, can you trust the messaging from the Fed? They're, they're going to be hawkish. Don't you expect that? The problem is, is that do they fully understand the degree to which the economy is slowing as fast as it is? Does FedEx ring the alarm bells in Powell's head that says maybe we're doing too much? Maybe we need to just do a little and then let things play out as they may. I feel like we're a little bit surprised by what we heard from FedEx yesterday afternoon. I feel like we're somewhat surprised that the economy is contracting. I, this is what we expected in the prior three months. We're only surprised because they gave good guidance at the end of June. Here we are in the middle of September. It's not that much time. Okay. Now, granted, things can change fairly quickly around the globe, given some of the geopolitical things that are going on. But when somebody in, at the end of June gives you good guidance and then now comes back a global player like FedEx and says the macro's deteriorating much faster than we thought, it's a problem. Well, Fred Please, Smith but, wasn't going to go out. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Wasn't going to go out on a down note. Fred Smith was going out on an up note. So I'm going to increase the dividend, and I'm going to say things are great, and here's our targets. And by the way, Raj, you take care of it, right? So I think that's a part well, that's of the what cynical happens. side. That, oh, that, it is. That's okay, part let, of the cynical story around it. I, I hear you on that. But, but, let, but let's look at it from the perspective of the Federal Reserve. The intention of the Federal Reserve is to affect exactly what we heard from FedEx yesterday. The Federal Reserve wants to slow the economy to try and combat inflation. Yeah, they're doing it. That's part of the point of what the people, what the critics are saying. They're doing it. Okay. But now they're like piling on. But but here it is. It's like it, okay. So but this is what we expected. It, it's it's like saying a hurricane's coming. You're waiting for the hurricane. The hurricane comes, and then you're surprised by the hurricane. Here it is. This is what has to happen. The economy has to contract if you want to combat inflation. I don't know any other way to remove the inflation. And the real risk is that they try and contract the economy, they keep raising interest rates, and inflation keeps going up. What do they do then? So I don't understand how the Fed, because they'll lose complete credibility. I respect what Jeffrey's saying, where he only wants 25 because he's focused on the economy itself. I get that, Scott. 
But the Fed will lose complete credibility if they reverse course in their messaging now because they've told you, that, to Bryn's point, they've used words like pain. They're I understand. Barry Sternlicht on the network uh, this week said they're raising too aggressively. Bespoke tweets a, a short time ago, FedEx set to have its worst single day decline since its IPO in 78, not because of cost or supply chain issues, but weak demand. Is Powell fighting yesterday's battle and missing what's on the horizon? No. That sets it up not. perfectly. He's fighting today's battle. Look, we don't want to be Argentina when, the, when they went through hyperinflation or any other emerging economy, because that's what we'll turn into. So you're breaking people's backs, you know, with higher gas costs. They've come down, they're still high. Higher grocery costs, higher freight costs, which have come down. But you, people can't tolerate, as I've said often, 70% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. That's who you have to watch, because if you put them in this death spiral of economics, then takes years and years right. to recover. They're spending more because they have no choice. Right. And that's right. not because they want to. Card numbers because they, right. And the other thing is, by the way, our rapid update, CNBC, falling Q3 uh, GDP estimates. Now we go uh, to 1.3 from 1.6. So, Jason Snipe, I send it, I send it back to you. Even Fundstrat, right? Tom Lee's going to be on with me in overtime today, and I hope you watch that. Their technician, Mark Newton, was on with me yesterday in overtime. Even he says cash is king until October. So the next couple of weeks are going to be especially rocky. The question no one really knows is how rocky does it get? Maybe you get a precursor to that by what's happening in mega cap tech today, right? And this week, which is ugly. We were just talking about Apple at 164. You see where that stock is today? Let's pull it up because I think it's 140 something. 149. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and Steve makes a great point here. I mean, he here's the deal. I mean, Inflation is pervasive. The genie is out the bottle. The Fed has to do what they need to do to try and bottleneck this and, and, and push it down. And, and Joe makes a great point as well. You know, the real risk is if that doesn't work, then what? So obviously the Fed's going to remain on course. The rhetoric won't change. They have to do what they got to do. And this is the painful part of it. No one, no one likes interest rates moving as particularly as dramatically and quickly as move up as they have. I mean, look at the two year. I mean, it's three, eight. I mean, that's insane. I mean, how, how quickly it's moved. So, you know, from from an investment perspective, I think it's, it's important to stay consistent on your discipline, looking for opportunities in areas or pullback. I mean, growth has obviously felt the pain, but so has value, you know, it, through through this drawdown. So I think it's, it's just really being patient and understanding the, the cycle that we're in, which is late cycle. And, and I think that that should play into your playbook going forward. The problem is everybody wants, I, I hear you on the be patient thing, Brim, but everybody wants instant gratification. Everybody wants the results to happen immediately. The Fed wants the hikes that it's doing to have an impact on demand. It's not having that huge of an impact yet. Um, everybody wants the fall in gas prices to be pervasive through the uh, inflation curve. It's not happening fast enough. Does the Fed have the patience? Do they have the patience to do what they've done and see it through? And do investors have the patience to let all of this play out the way it's going to? I mean, I don't know what you do with the market in, in, in this environment right now. Well, so, so a couple of things. I think where, you know, I listened to the, with you, I was with you there with, with Jeff Gunlock. Obviously, Jeff is very smart, has a lot of common sense. The Fed is a very academic machine, and so I don't necessarily think they have common sense. But if you think through, everyone spent all year referencing the 70s. 
What's missed about the 70s and the rate hikes is there was actually a ton of bank loan growth in the 70s, and that was one of the causes of inflation. It wasn't just energy. It was bank loan growth. So when you raise rates, you kill that growth. Well, bank loan growth has been anemic for the past five or six years. And so when you actually look through, like Steve's talking about gas prices, what does that have to do with the Fed? Gas prices have come down because the Biden administration is draining the SPR down to levels now from 1984. And so I'm not really sure what raising rates at this point, when you look at actually what's causing inflation, and one of the reasons inflation was higher was food. So what does raising rates have to do with food? And so I do think we're in this situation where, and I said this about six months ago, as did other people, is the concern is that the Fed is just ignoring actually what they're able to control and then something ultimately breaks. No, they're because not you ignoring definitely it. They see just can't. They have no choice. I mean, in large part, they have no choice. But here's, right. what, here's, yeah. what, here's what I want to do in the, in the time we have left in, in this block. Um, I want to look at those declines I talked about in mega cap twice, okay? Mm -hmm. This week, Apple down 5%, Amazon 8.5, Alphabet 8, Microsoft 8, Meta 14. And then I have on the same day, I've got Citi upgrading technology to overweight. That make any sense? Zero sense. I mean, everybody's looking to be a hero, and they say, okay, you know what, I'm going to try and call the bottom. Just be patient. There's no point putting money to work in the market. But valuations have come down a lot, though. Yeah, but today's valuations, tell me what the ease is going to be in two or three months. It's going to be less. Tell me what demand's going to be for technology, particularly for semis, as you see economies start to slow down. They say valuations have improved a lot. They should be pricing in nearer-term fundamental concerns. I mean... It's like already in. I don't think so. And, and what they also don't take into account is that if you go back when money was free, people saying, you know what, you're going to see a massive switch from, from people owning stocks to bonds if you just get over 3%. Here I've got a two-year, the U.S. government two-year that's given me almost 4%. Why wouldn't I want to own that tax-free state and local? Instead of equities, which historically have returned 7%. You probably would. No Gunlock, the other, exactly. Gunlock yesterday had his webcast, or the other, I don't know, two days ago yesterday at this point. I can't even remember. Gunlock says, Joe, uh, bonds are most, bond market is most attractive in a decade. That's, well, from his, that's from his webcast. And he said with me down in, uh, or out in California, uh, long end. Long end. He's buying the long end. He's extending duration, which has been an unpopular trade. Long-dated treasuries. Yep. Yes, he's, ex he's extending the, the duration of the taxable fixed income. Well, that's been a very unpopular trade, but I'm beginning to hear from a lot of uh, fixed income money managers that that's the right thing to do. He's right, and especially with the perspective that he has where he believes the Federal Reserve ultimately needs to pause the interest rate high cycle. If you believe that, then yes, owning bonds here is, is, is the right call. I'll just say this. Without, without question, okay, I think the Federal Reserve in November continues to raise interest rates. I think after the CPI report that we get in the 1st of October, no matter what that report is, they need to stop. They need to stop. Whether inflation comes down or inflation goes up. If inflation goes up, stop, because what you're doing isn't working. So just stop already. It takes a while to work. We don't know if it's working or not. I'd they, say it's working. Look at the equity market. See, this it's is what working. I'm saying. This is like goes to the heart of the conversation. Joe doesn't have the patience for, for what's going on. He wants instant gratification. They've already raised a lot. Well, They've done two 75 basis point moves. They're going to probably do another one next week. Right. He says it's Without not working. Question. Do we know if it's working? That's part of the problem. You got people who are saying, oh, they've got to get more aggressive. They've got to raise. Now the same people, Jeremy Siegel, some of these others, Gunlock, now they've got to stop. So maybe, maybe we should just be clear. Maybe we should just say it. Maybe we don't trust the Federal Reserve. 
maybe the record of Chairman Powell and this committee isn't a very good one. They've made a series of mistakes. They made one this time last year. They made one in 2018. And maybe you just don't believe that they're actually going to be successful. You at that. sold December S&P futures. Tell had me to. about that before we go. I had to. I mean, I, you know, I, I yesterday I sent you an email. I said, look, uh, the low, the Labor Day low at 38.86 is in jeopardy. I know exactly how the algos work. And let's understand what's going on today. I don't think today is panic selling. I don't think this is a retail event. I think this is back to the algorithms again. This is back towards the non-discretionary rules-based trading, which on a Friday, knowing that you have options expiration, you had a critical break below that low. So now you've got a lot of selling that's been engaged from those funds. In addition to that, let's keep in mind, as the day progresses, you're going to have a lot of the leveraged ETFs that are going to have to come in at the end of the day. It's going to exacerbate the selling. So, I mean, you just have to react to what you see in the market. I was with you uh, on Monday at SALT. I told you that I felt inflation was a binary event. I sold half of my cues that night. Thankfully, sold the rest the next morning. Oh, you did? So you have, you're totally out of that oh, totally, position. Totally out of the queues. I, I sold half uh, Monday. And, and there's the trading within the, the, the trend because that actually worked out well. But here, now, I think the right move is to sell some S&P futures against my long equities because right now being long equities doesn't look too good. You think? All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, Steve Weiss is selling a name in his portfolio. Rob Seachin calling in. He's making many moves in his as well. We're going to go through those trades coming up. Halftime's back in just two minutes. Dow's down a little more than 380. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. All right, Weiss, we go to you first. Uh, you sold Lockheed Martin. And now you're completely hedged across your portfolio. I am. So my bet is, so I'm actually the tiniest, tiniest bit uh, net short. But it doesn't mean I've gotten rid of stocks. What it means is that I believe that my stock picking can outperform the indices. So I still own Volkswagen. I still own GXO. GXO is not FDX. They have five, 10, 15-year contracts. So I still own stocks, but... 
I'm hedging the market risk, I believe. Now, doesn't mean I'm going to win, right? Because there's beta in my portfolio, which means they move more than the market. Mm -hmm. They can do that to the downside as well. But I just didn't want any equity exposure. And uh, if I didn't see some unique opportunities there, I'd just be completely in cash. And actually, I started buying, uh, talking about bonds, the two-year. And I'll probably buy, you know, the three-month and uh, just sit on it and wait. Wait for things to turn. All right. I uh, mentioned Rob Seachin. Part of the investment committee was making some moves as well. He joins us now. Uh, there he is. It's good to see you. So let's go through this because there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, number one, you sold. I'm going to talk about something you sold first. Uh, that's Allstate. Why? Uh, you know, listen, this is, a, this is a position that we own for some time. This is an example of upgrading quality within the portfolio. They have in, uh, highly elevated ad spend and weakening margins leading us to look for high quality names. And that's in, endemic in our portfolio, Scott. We're always looking to upgrade quality, and especially when we think it's going to be a difficult environment in the near term. You, you have a lot of quality, right? I mean, United Health, healthcare's done well. You trimmed that. Why? Yeah, listen, we're still overweight healthcare. We think it's the most attractive and best price of the, uh, you know, the defensive names when you look at it relative to utilities and staples. This is a company that in the last 12 months has outperformed the sector by 32% and the Russell 1000 growth by 50%. It became one of our largest holdings in the portfolio. And so this is just a little maintenance. We're just trimming it a little bit. Home Depot, you trimmed. EOG, you trimmed. I mean, these moves just come across as uh, expressing an overall negative view of the market seats. I don't know how um, it could be otherwise. Well, I, I think you have to do that. Listen, we broke a major support level, Scotty, in 3,900 today. I think the next stop's probably 3,600. But we want to stay invested because at some point here, with the market, with the duration of this bear market being as long as it's, it has been, and really everybody moving to Weiss's side of the boat, which is betting against the Fed, and that's really betting that they're going to make two mistakes. I still think that they are talking tough and not going to deliver on everything that they talk about. Because when you look at the data, when you look at the Zillow rent data, when you look at everything, it's rolling over in such a dramatic fashion that at some point here, you have to get interested if you think the Fed is not going to make two mistakes. And so we don't at this point. And so we're staying invested, but doing it in a very high quality way, a, a very responsible way. So you bought, you do, you do have some buys, um, mm -hmm. MasterCard and Suncor. Take me through those, please. So, so, so MasterCard is an incredible business trading at a discounted valuation to its history. 26 forward, the lowest valuation since the 2018 market swoon. Um, name me another business that generates 60% operating margins. It's a cash, cash machine with minimal capital needed to reinvest in the business with these huge margins. So, you know, a lot of people point to the consumer. Consumer balance sheets are still strong. Credit card balances are only 5% of incomes. That's below the 6% pre-pandemic and well below the 8% prior to the global financial crisis. There's room for consumers to take on more debt. And we think MasterCard's an interesting way for us to increase our underweight to technology. High dividend payer in Suncor, is that the attraction? 
That's that's certainly one of the attractions. It's also an incredibly solid business from a from a fundamental standpoint. Thirty percent operating margins, twenty percent free cash flow margins. Um, you know, listen, when you look at this, it's a little further downstream than EOG. So we're still maintaining our overweight to the energy sector with a greater emphasis on refining. So we have less sensitivity to oil prices in the event we go into a, kind of a deeper downturn. You bought more. So, you, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I want to get through these. You bought more Blackstone. Yes, listen. Blackstone to us is an example. We, we, we jumped out, obviously, of Allstate, bought Blackstone, one of the highest quality financials we own. Um, it's a premium valuation, but this is an example where you pay up for quality. Um, in addition, the company has a 5.5% dividend yield, and it's growing at a 38% rate. So love Blackstone. So the, the, the beauty of, of this being a, a committee is that we have the luxury of, of having people who are on the other side uh, on occasion of, of some of these moves, like Jason Snipe, who owns United Health and Home Depot. Agree or disagree, Jason, with these moves from, from Siege? Yeah, so obviously, Siege, I'm sure this is portfolio management. You know, he's operating within his discipline. But, but when I look at healthcare and I but, look at UNH, <laughs> but, but, correct, but, um, you know, I, I really like UNH here. I mean, when we're thinking about, we're talking about cycles in the first block. You know, we're late cycle. UNH has so much momentum on Optum and managed care. Yes, it's up 3.5% year to date. You know, it's trading about three, 23 times forward, which is a premium to the market. But I just think with a late, uh, uh, a uh, tight labor market, you know, UNH will still benefit from all the tailwinds that I just mentioned. And as it relates to HD, I mean, HD had a really strong quarter this past quarter. I mean, net operating profits were up 11%. Yes, I know the housing trade is slowing, but I think some of these housing adjacent names like HD, you know, the pro, they're busy. You know, these contractors are very busy. You know, there's not buying is slowing down, but that doesn't mean work on the homes are slowing. So I like HD and, and UNH. So I would I would respectfully disagree with Siege here. All right. That, that's fair. So, so make it can, quick. Can Rob. I, we got to go. Make back? it quick. Yeah. So so listen, um, United Healthcare is still one of our largest holdings. It's six plus percent of the portfolio. So I agree. We own it. What I would say about Home Depot in the reduction is, listen, you're betting that they are going to continue to be able to pass on pricing to their customers. Rising inventory and slower transaction volumes are reflecting a challenging macro environment. We still own it. It was a reduction. We're just being prudent and trimming it in case that risk turns out to be more significant than, you know, we uh, many might expect. All right. We'll find out uh, what the macro looks like what consumers look like, according to the company, because the CEO is on tonight with uh, Jim uh, Mad Money tonight, six o'clock Eastern. So don't miss that. And it's perfect timing. It's an exclusive interview, given what you just heard from um, a shareholder, a couple of shareholders. So uh, interesting stuff there. I hope you'll watch that. Rob, thank you. Good weekend. We'll see you next week. We'll talk chip makers coming up. NVIDIA and Intel hitting 52 week lows. We'll debate if the semis are starting to show signs of a bottom and how you might want to trade that coming up next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. Major flooding in central Italy has left at least 10 people dead after heavy rainfall caused conditions that local officials described as a tsunami. Rescue operations are ongoing in remote towns as people reportedly had to climb trees and scramble on top of cars to try and escape those floodwaters. Nissan is recalling more than 200,000 vehicles because of issues with the transmission. Carmaker says the Frontier and Titan pickup trucks from 2020 through the 2023 model year unexpectedly can roll away when shifted into parks. So Nissan says owners need to use the parking brake when they park their trucks. The company is working on repairs now. And new reporting from NBC News. Biden aides are beginning to build the groundwork for a 2024 presidential run and already talking about who would manage the campaign. The plan is to rely heavily on the Democratic National Committee and save money with a small campaign staff. Preparations will also include test messaging strategies and themes before November's midterms. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. All right, Wells Fargo's out with a note today saying the semis may be showing signs of a bottom. NVIDIA and Intel both at new lows today, 52-week. Let's discuss this. City says valuations have improved should be pricing in nearer-term fundamental concerns, as I suggested earlier. So, Bryn, uh, NVIDIA, how are we feeling about this now? Well, I don't really agree with the piece about showing signs of a bottom. Yes, you can, you can look at multiples looking backwards, but once again, we're at yields that we haven't seen in, in, since pre-2007. And so I think technically, I mean, I'm, I'm in NVIDIA. Technically, I think the stock could be in, you know, go below the 120s right here. It's still an expensive stock, but we're just in that environment. And especially with what the Biden administration is doing with their being able to, to sell through to China, I still think there's going to be some headwind. And from a bottoming process, I would want to see the technicals bottom before you see the fundamentals turn around. That's from a shareholder, Joe, of NVIDIA who says, I don't believe the piece. I don't believe they bottomed. Are you looking for another share? You got AMD and NVIDIA, too. Yeah. Are you looking for me to give you a different view? Because I'm not going to, especially in the case of Mm -hmm. NVIDIA. We don't know just yet um, what the impact of the Ethereum merge is ultimately going to be on earnings for for NVIDIA. Are they going to have to restate guidance? That's something that might be expected here. So I agree with Bryn. Unfortunately, right now, I feel as though NVIDIA and AMD are best in breed, but they're hostage to the market. And there are a lot of headwinds in front of both these companies. These stocks have been brutal year to date. Weiss, NVIDIA, 56 percent decliner. AMD, I mean, everything is SMH is down 35 percent. The actual units, the Intel is down 47 and a half. Uh, I'm sorry, down 44. AMD down 48. NVIDIA down 56. Brutal. It it is brutal. But, you know, down 45, down 40, were those justified? And they weren't because they were a function of free money. And I'd come on the show, and Josh did, and Joe did, and said, look, this is a new age for semis, because they're pervasive. They're in everything that you have, not just your computer, your refrigerator, your car, mm-hmm. et cetera. But guess what? At the end of the day, they're commodities, and the market caught up to them. 
and now you're still blaming supply chain issues, but we've lapped those supply chain issues. So I don't know why companies, whether it's semi-companies or whether it's GE or anybody else, is still using that to, uh, to blame the market. So, no, I'm not buying semis here because I think that the ease continue to come down. Okay. Cloud stocks, they're off nearly 50% from their recent highs, but the street is still bullish on a few of the big-name players. We debate those in our calls of the day. We're right back. Uh, let's talk some cyber stocks uh, right now. Calls of the day. Joey, you first. CrowdStrike initiated by 240 price target MKM. That's about 40 percent, 39, 40 percent up from here. That's one you own. <laughs> well, I'm laughing because that, that's, that's quite a target. Uh, let's get it to stabilize first and then move in the right direction. The one thesis that you have been able to have in software is that cybersecurity can work for you. You've seen that with CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, and Fortinet. But the struggles of the market right now are acting as a headwind for this company. I will hold CrowdStrike um, through this because I believe on the other side of it, it comes out as a winner. That's still your favorite name of, out of the three, all of them? Out of the three, yes. Okay. Bryn, you just own the ETF, right? Bug. Cyber ETF. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's different ETFs. And so I think you really have to know what you own inside of there. So... So the way Global X puts them together, though, is that the companies in there have to have the majority of their revenues in cybersecurity. So you're not going to own a Cisco, which has a small slice. And inside of this, you've got both you know, Palo Alto and CrowdStrike are over 7% weightings. And I think it's interesting, you know, Palo is only down about, I think, around 7% year to date which is pretty spectacular in this kind of market. So I think it's a great secular tailwind. I'm not sure who the winner's gonna be, so I like this concentrated uh, cybersecurity ETF. Yeah, Jason, Palo Alto, uh, Bryn just mentioned it, and it, it is down just 7% this year. That's a win. Big time, big time in a market like this. I just think, unfortunately, cyber attacks aren't going anywhere. There's a lot of secular tailwinds around cybersecurity stocks. Apollo's expensive. I mean, it's 55 times forward. But to Bryn and, and to your point, Scott, I mean, it's only down 7%. They had a really nice quarter last quarter, 27% revenue growth, and implied 25% revenue growth coming into this quarter. Just had a three-for-one split earlier this week. I still really like this name, even in this market. No, no uh, cyber for you, Wise. I mean, this is a good example, I, I think, Palo Alto is. Um, in a, you know, a decidedly down market, even really good stocks are going to go down in the tide, but they're just not going to, you know, sink. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I wish no ill will on, on, on Jason or Joe, but I hope they get crushed because I'd love to buy them. Um, and I think the price and the valuation really you have on these is eroding. So I'll be patient. Those are two that I have my eye on, had my eye on for a while, but they've always been too expensive. Maybe this is evidence that they're not going to get crushed, right? They've had every, ample opportunity to get crushed, and they haven't. Well, they're not is, gonna is get that a, a statement in and of itself? Relative about performance. They're not going to get away from me, and I deal with absolute performance, not relative performance. Okay. So when stocks go down, nobody's happy that I'm talking to, even if they're down only less than Of course. The 
Of course. Oh, we just say in the environment down 7% feels like a win. It's a win. Feels like it's a win. A win. And congratulations. That will win the stock picking contest this year, Jason. Okay. All right. More trades ahead. A, uh, we have a new street call on energy and materials. We'll find out how the committee is playing those when we come back. Energy is the worst performing sector today. It is still the leading sector this year. Bank of America is now out with a call to buy energy and sell materials. That's Savita Subramanian uh, over at Bank of America. So let's discuss this. Bryn, materials to you first. We always talk energy. We don't talk materials that much. Freeport MacMoran, what do you think about this uh, idea of selling materials? Yeah, I, I totally get her call. So, so go back to 1980, looking at the last six recessions, materials actually have the biggest drawdown in earnings. And so she thinking we're going into a recession, materials historically would not be the place you wanna be. I think though, what's different this time though, with Freeport and probably lithium and some other materials is this whole green movement. And so we understand right now, China's in a recession, but there is a undersupply of copper. And so I own FCX to play that copper and I have sold calls against it because there's actually some really nice premium that I can get paid while I wait. So I do think this cycle will be different with those green, those green metals that we need to electrify everything. Are you still as bullish on energy as, as you've been? Um, I know you're not to say that you were wholly wavering of late, but uh, you know, I think you were taking a look at some of the names and thinking what the environment really looks like for some of the stocks going forward. And you do have considerable ownership, Devon, Energy Transfer, you got the XOP, Blackstone Minerals, Viper. Yeah, I have calls on all of them except for Blackstone because there was just no premium. So I think long term, I'm very bullish on energy, but I think there's a lot of geopolitics we all know out there. And so there's going to be a lot of price movement. And so that big price movement lends, it lends itself to some really nice premium. And so I feel more comfortable having that, that, that call premium to back it up if there's volatility on the downside than just being just owning those names long only at this point. Jason, how about you on Chevron, the XLE? Yeah, I mean, I, energy, I, I remain bullish here. I mean, you know, Bryn mentioned some geopolitical issues. I mean, the thing for me, SBR is coming off the docket in October. You know, there's no imminent, uh, you know, deal with Iran. You know, energy names, the supply-demand story hasn't changed at all. So if these names are profitable at 90, 80, they're also profitable at 60 bucks. So, you know, I, I think all these names could work, you know, just depending on, on, on where you are there. You know, I like the fully integrated, like the Chevrons, and, you know, I, I'll buy the basket with XLE. So, yeah, that, I'm expressing my views there, and that, I, I'm just generally bullish on the space, period. Weiss, you actually own, I mean, you own Enterprise. enterprise I do products. own Enterprise, uh, and I used to own Devon, and I used to own EQT. Uh, look, there's a yield there. Uh, I, I channeled Jenny Harrington when I bought it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a big position. I'd like to get bigger. I do think that you will see nat gas rise into winter in Europe. Problem is that's consensus. So I don't know if I'll be right. EOG, EQT. Still, I agree. Valero. I yeah, absolutely. I agree with C uh, Pioneer. I <laughs> I agree with Savita on this. Energy is a supply story. Materials they need demand, and they need demand. The the, the most powerful source of demand comes from the Chinese in their public uh, works projects. And, and you're just not seeing that right now. So the absence of demand in materials, I wouldn't be there relative to the opportunity source where you've got supply challenges in energy. Okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna go back to where we started. FedEx shares on pace for their worst day ever. One of our committee members 
owns that stock. They're going to call in with their take next. Big stock story of the day. By now, you know FedEx on pace for its worst day ever on the back of that negative pre-announcement and the earnings warning. Michael Farr, he owns that stock. He joins us on the phone. Uh, man, it's not often that a stock like this gets hit like that. No, it isn't, Scott. And one of the reasons you own a stock like this is so that it never gets hit like this. Uh, this one has taken a real hit. And we're seeing a couple of things. One, we had this analyst day call in June where they gave very bullish guidance, a lot of detail uh, down to what they were doing in their operations. Guidance then was for earnings per share up 14 to 19 percent and shareholder returns through 2025 of up 18 to 22 percent. So the two things, I guess, that are really worrying me here, uh, the, this, the CEO, uh, Raj Subramanian, uh, he's really lost some credibility here. I'm, I'm concerned that he had such a bullish outlook then. He's changed as quickly as he has. And he's either, he seems very convinced of this macro story and a global recession, uh, which can be a concern to all. We know that transports can be a canary in the coal mine on Wall Street, certainly according to Dow theory. So uh, I, I kind of tend to agree with Jim Cramer earlier, who said we might be a 70% a macro problem, but there's still a 30% company problem that I think you have to look at. And we're looking at that one pretty closely. This is not a happy day for me. You think you might bail on it? I could bail on it if I if I begin to be convinced that the CEO or management is the problem. If I am convinced that management is the problem, I'll bail. But as I look at the numbers here, because I always have to look at the numbers uh, and try and ignore the noise, if I take their estimates for 2023 down 35 or 40 percent, that has the stock trading at 12 times earnings today. It's an investment-grade company. They've got plenty of cash flow. They've got $7 billion in cash. Debt to EBITDA is less than three times. Um, it's, the stock is not expensive at these levels, so I am loath to sell it. But if I have greater concerns about management, I will. I guess if I were going to if, 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 if my guess is I'll probably be closer to adding to it, mm. um, but but uh, there are reasons for concern yeah. here. I mean, it's easy to throw uh, want to throw a tomato at the CEO at when your stock's getting hit, you know, twenty some odd percent. But uh, you know, I, I think some in fairness that if the macro is deteriorating uh, faster than uh, a lot of CEOs are, are seeing, then maybe uh, you, you cut him a break. I, I don't know. We'll see, Michael. I appreciate your time. That's Michael Farr joining us there. Uh, on the news line. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. We are showing you shares of Netflix. That's a spike midday. Um, at some point, these stocks come down enough, they become attractive to somebody. So maybe there's a big buyer in there. Uh, that's what's being uh, talked about in some circles. So we wanted to show you it as you do see that stock get off the mat today in a fairly big way, up uh, four bucks. That's just shy of 2%, but in a decidedly down tape, especially for the NASDAQ today, it is notable. NASDAQ overall is down 1.5%. It's a loss of 180, and it's been really a point of concern. So we'll keep our eye on that for the rest of the day, see how it finishes up, and we'll talk about it perhaps in overtime. And Tom Lee is going to join me in a few hours as well. So his technician says watch out until October. We'll see what Tom Lee himself uh, has to say. He's been bullish, as you know. I don't think that's a big shock. Uh, I will see you in overtime. The exchange is now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 